0: No, my, hi, my, and Welcome to the panel on RNZ National, first show of the year. It's wonderful to be back with you today. It's been their first 100 days since the mayoral local body election, so I thought we'd check into three mayors this afternoon. Pothole Nation, that's what we've been called. Complaints are on the increase about our roads. What did you see driving over the summer break? Let me know. And there is a commission, there's a call for a commission of inquiry into forestry practices. That on the panel today. Census collectors are being warned to carry panic alarms amid safety fears over an anti-government backlash. That also. And... It has become the fastest-selling non-fiction book ever, says the Guinness Book of Records. What's the book? It's called Spare by Prince Harry. But I would like to hear from you today, from someone who is reading it, what is the book actually like. It's ghostwritten by Pulitzer Prize winner J.R. Moringer. So get in touch. Text me at 2101 email panel at rnz.co.nz You can be our reviewer. With me this afternoon for the first show, Cass Carter, Marketing and Communications Director. Cass is also a Mind the Gap Advocate. Lovely to have you here, Cass. Happy 2023. Yeah, happy 2023 to you, and happy first day back, Wallace. Yeah, nice. Yeah. Also, David Cormack, Managing Director of the Draper Cormack Group, former Green Party staffer. Kia ora, David. Kia ora, Wallace. How are you? I'm very well. I'm dry, I'm well, and it's lovely here. And I've got a nice cup of tea in the studio and lots to discuss. Oh, by the way, the song Whisperer this afternoon, we give you the lyrics... And you give us the song. The lyrics today. I could have been a preacher, but I can't stand life on my knees. What's the song? Text 2101. I found this fascinating, this story. The French government has banned certain short-haul flights in a bid to cut down emissions. Flights where a train or bus service could get passengers to the destination in two and a half hours or less have now been given the chop. That's because these trips produce more climate pollution per kilometre than most long-haul flights. So, should New Zealand be doing the same, say from... Whangarei to Auckland. With us is Professor James Haim from the University of Otago's Department of Tourism. He's with us on this. Professor Haim, Kia, Kia
1: ora. Wallace. How are you today?
0: I'm very well. What do you think of this move from France?
1: Well, I think it's, uh, it's very interesting. I think um, we're facing uh, times of climate crisis. Uh, we've heard it said very widely that COVID provides an opportunity to uh, rethink and uh, address some of the critical challenges that we face in the 21st century. Um, many airlines uh, around the world have received very substantial bailout packages from governments that are trying to decarbonize their economies, um, it's totaling hundreds of billions of dollars. And I think the French government is on to something uh, with this idea of um, putting in place green conditions for uh, those airlines that receive those bailout packages. So
0: that's the issue in France that are doing it. So, you know cutting the 20-minute flight over Cook Strait, perhaps, so or Whangare, or Northland flight. But, um, uh, James, we don't have a consistent and high-speed rail network.
1: That's uh, that's absolutely right, Wallace. And uh, I'm not suggesting for a minute that the New Zealand context is comparable in any way to the French yeah. uh, or the wider European context, but I think it's really interesting. We have our own unique geographical and uh, physical um, context. Obviously, we're a, a distant uh, and oceanic long haul destination. Um, uh, but we also have physical geography challenges uh, in, in terms of the length of the country and the island nature of our country. Very similar in, in that respect to Norway, which is long and thin with fjords that makes surface transport geographically challenging. But I think, um, and obviously, these are historical reasons for our dependence on aviation. Um, but and and the neglect that we've given to other transport options uh, and infrastructures, so we would need to think about the uh, sorts of conditions that are appropriate to New Zealand. But the fact that conditions could be put in place, I think, is is um, is worth noting.
0: Okay, well, let's put this to the panel see what they think of it. Let's bring you in, Kaz, first. Um.
2: Interesting what you said. Thank you for that. I I am um, I'm sort of interested in this whole the whole concept when we talk about aviation and its contribution to the carbon footprint. Because if you look at internationally, the aviation industry produces only just over two percent, and that will grow if we don't do something about it. But um, it seems to me I know that road transport also creates a lot of emissions as well. In fact, um, more so in in the world. Um, so. It seems to me that what France is doing is just moving moving things from one thing to another. Because if there's more demand on transport, there'll be more more of oh, different kind okay. of transport. There'll be more transport. I suppose that was my thought. And I wonder. James.
1: Wondered. Yeah, it's a really good point. Um Our highest-emitting forms of transportation are airplanes, private vehicles, internal combustion engine vehicles, cruise ships, uh, helicopters, uh, space rockets. So yes, we do have. um carbon uh, transport modes, and you're absolutely right, we don't want to shift demand from one to another, but we also have emerging low-carbon transport options, mostly surface-based, but including, uh, of course, aviation, where airlines are trying to um, uh, transition to low-carbon energy systems, such as electric or green hydrogen, Um, impossible currently for long-haul international But there are efforts being advanced to transition to low-carbon aviation on short-haul domestic network routes. So there are, again, options that need to be considered very, very carefully in terms of trade-offs between different Uh, transport modes.
3: Okay, David. I mean, I think... The solution there is if people get onto onto the train. I mean, obviously, Europe has a fantastic trains network. And so maybe we should think about building a good rail network here in New Zealand. And, you know, we (laughs) can't keep putting it off. So we should just start now uh, and and get it done. Think of the extraordinary cost. Think of the extraordinary cost to the planet if we just keep burning fossil fuels, Wallace.
2: And the extraordinary cost of keeping our
0: roads up to date, which clearly we're not. Do you think that, David's onto to something, Professor Haim, that uh, yes, there is a cost to it, but if we start laying the tracks, start laying the foundations for a more comprehensive rail system, so for example, you could actually transit from one city to another in fairly good time, like you can do in other countries, that's a co- that's something w- well worth thinking
1: about. Absolutely agree. Um, and, uh, and again, there are inter- interesting parallels elsewhere. Well. I don't know how much time you have, but It's really interesting to note that the chief executive of KLM uh, in Europe is actually now encouraging passengers to forego short-haul polluting flights for train journeys on certain routes uh, as a quite smart strategy to open new opportunities for future growth uh, through collaborating with rail network providers. And and in fact, in Germany, Deutsche Bahn has become the first non-airline member of the Star Alliance building networks of rail uh, links to airline networks, essentially, um, to to bring those networks together and to to make them compatible. And there are all sorts of advantages that we can also achieve um, through airlines collaborating on uh, ticketing and customer loyalty and baggage handling through rail networks that connect with um, airlines out of of their major hubs. So there are all sorts of opportunities here for open-minded thinking.
0: Interesting. Can I bring something up, Professor Haim, that you, uh, is an interesting quote from you. I've got to bring it up. You said that for our population, it's ridiculous how many airports we have. Can, can you expand on that?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, if you look at uh, international gateways into Australia, basically there's one per state, and obviously Australia is a, is a vast country compared to New Zealand with a much bigger population. Um we have uh, developed um, airports ac- across the country and we continue to look to develop airports um, in, uh, in r- regional parts of the country. But really, we should be doing exactly what we're talking about in this conversation, looking at alternative um, surface low-carbon transport networks domestically. There are currently no technical solutions to decarbonize long-haul aviation um, international. So we've got to look at transitioning to low-carbon alternatives as far as our domestic transport networks are concerned, and that will inevitably mean fewer airports.
0: Wow. Cass, looks like we've got a bit of thinking to do as a nation on how we travel between cities and regions.
2: Absolutely. I think we do. And, then, and I do think we need to invest, and I do think we need to um,
0: be um, big picture about it. Great stuff, Professor Hyam. Kia ora. Really interesting. Thanks for being with us uh, on the show. Kia ora. That is Professor James Hyam there from uh, Otago University's Department of Tourism. Nonetheless, though, uh, I can recall the days, David, when you would take your uh, overnight uh, bus from, say, nelson to wasn't overnight it was like a 12-hour bus wasn't it so from auckland to wellington is that something that you've done recently or you'd still be partial to doing
3: not a bus i hate the bus the bus Do is you? the most depressing mode of transport ever created but a train i would it's yeah. exciting and adventurous but a bus is just a, a large car and it's <laughs> you know it's it's still not that flash for the environment so if you get electrified rail it's much better yeah. Right.
2: And we used to catch the rail car as well. That's And I remember my mum putting me on the rail car when I was just
3: young, quite safely, to go what's and vi- the visit what's people. What's the rail car? It's the one you push the levers up and down on, two people at a time.
0: You're kidding me. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, you got me. It only took ten, your 10 minutes. Well done. Well done. Hey, now, by the way, huge response to... Uh, the song Whisperer, we give you the lyrics, you give us the song if you've just joined us. I could have been a preacher, but I can't stand life on my knees. And I really want to hear from someone uh, who uh, is reading right now the most popular and fastest selling non-fiction book of all time. It's by a guy called Prince Harry. It's called Spear. What's it like? Text me 2101. Time for I've Been Thinking. Cass Carter. Take it away
2: sure so at the end of last year um, the government agreed to um, to a request from us um, to consider um, making um pay gap reporting compulsory for businesses it already is um, for the government um, but not for private sector Um, but they sent it to a committee and so what I've been thinking about along with my um, friends and colleagues in the Mind the Gap campaign is how we managed to push the legislation through in a very short time (laughs) before the elections um, when everything might change so we've been um We've sort of been thinking about uh, what that means and how, and, and what we can do about it. So, um, pay gaps at the moment um, are around nine percent, and that's for Maori um, and Pacifica, for other ethnic groups, and um, also for women. Um, but it's a lot bigger in other other areas mm. as well. And what we've found is that the employers who do report their pay gaps or started reporting them then go hang on why have I got this pay gap and they start to look at the pay gap and they start to address it and one of the things that the government was concerned about was unintended consequences which we're trying to work through what they mean by that Um, but internationally it doesn't mean that men lose money or other groups lose money it just means um, we address the factors that are holding uh, certain parts of our um, sector back and um, and over time um, people the pay gap starts to disappear and um, New Zealand is way behind in terms of other Western countries. So we've got a big job to try and influence a whole lot of ministers to push this through um, before the elections.
0: Good on you. Kia ora, All right, uh, Dave Cormack, I've been thinking...
3: So it was only in August last year that Nelson was smashed by flooding, and fast forward less than four months, and now Coromandel and much of Taitafiti is underwater, people have abandoned holidays, people are trapped, people's houses and their livelihoods have been absolutely rooted, and we're just going to see more and more of this because the climate has changed. And we were warned, we knew, in fact ExxonMobil knew to a level of detail more than scientists did, that they continued to burn fossil fuels and the climate was going to get wrecked, and now we're living in it. The people are Arabas have been living with it for years. They spend a portion of the year knee-deep in water. Australia's been living it for a while, and we need actual leadership on climate change instead of the kind of hand-waving that we get. Labour has talked about it but done very little. What, what would leadership look like to well, you? Well, I'm starting with the negatives first, Wallace. Don't cut me off mid-rant. <laughs> Good Lord. Um, Nationals Energy and Resources spokesperson did a tweet in support of the idiot UK Prime Minister's idea to force students to study maths until they leave school, and he said we should be doing Doing that instead of teaching kids about climate change. And so Te Party Māori and the Green Party actually have plans for climate mitigation, uh, and they are the only two that are showing any kind of leadership. And really, that should be the only determining factor in your vote at the general election because it's an actual existential crisis to all of us. Uh, and so if you give a damn about the planet you live on and the planet that your children are going to live on and their grandchildren are going to live on, you really need to make climate change your number one priority. And they could start making an electrified rail network. That could be the first thing, Wallace.
0: Very good, very good. Yes, the rail car, check it, Wallace. Last taken an 86 from Rotorua to Auckland. They were two carriages. Diesel was the norm, uh, but they were great. Lovely to be with you here. 2023 on The Panel.